When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. I'm Graham speaking common sense unto the nation on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the home of common sense and the only place where we can attempt to work out what is really going on from the foreign fields of Ukraine to the Polish border and all points in between. As Russian forces increase their attacks on Kharkiv, Ukraine's second city, President Vladimir Putin issued a warning to all residents of Kiev, uh, instructing them to leave the city as more than 15,000 Russian soldiers attempting to form a ring of steel around it appear to be getting closer and closer by the hour. With the row over the Western response still raging. President Zelensky appealed to NATO to impose a no-fly zone to stop the Russian Air Force from dominating the skies. But Boris Johnson and other European leaders have said that isn't on the table. Not now, uh, and certainly not for the near future. Many fearing, of course, that escalating resistance like that could lead to World War III. I'm not sure if you're worried about that. I don't think I am at the moment, but it's a very confusing situation, a movable uh, situation as well. We'll be hearing from the Prime Minister at midday when he answers PMQs with Sakir Starmer, who's been calling for more British help for refugees and to Ukraine fighting forces as well. First up this morning, though, we're speaking to Sam Ashworth Hayes from the Henry Jackson Society, who fears things are going to get much worse in Ukraine before they get any better. And we're also joined by The Sun on Sunday's political editor, David Wooding, for a flavour of what's being said in the corridors of power at Westminster. Suddenly, it all seems to have gotten a bit serious, doesn't it? 0344 499 We'll also be taking you backwards and forwards to the war zones in Ukraine as Russian troops bring the fight closer to civilian targets. We've got a couple of MPs lined up to talk to uh, and some eyewitnesses as well from what's going on near the border with Poland and Hungary now uh, as more and more refugees pour uh, into Western Europe. Tonya Buxton's going to be here too with her take on the events of the week and she'll be telling us why the government should never have imposed the vaccine mandate on NHS workers. Uh, now they've cancelled that policy. Do people get their jobs back? Donna Harvey will also join us from California the morning after Joe Biden's State of the Union address last night in Congress, where he managed to confuse Ukraine with Iran in a rambling speech where he promised to punish Putin. But nobody's quite sure how. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. Are you having any better luck seeing a doctor these days? GP surgeries are now being told they must open on Saturdays and on weekday evenings. I mean... Why has it taken this long? Everyone else is used to living a 24-7 lifestyle, unless you're a tube driver, of course. Um, why should the NHS be any different? 0344 499 1000. A lot to get on with. A lot to be getting stuck into this morning. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is Talk Radio. 
Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now it's time to say a very good morning. For the first time in the studio here with us, Sam Ashworth. Hey Sam, welcome. Thank you good very morning, much for Mike. joining us. Uh, fresh from uh, battling through the traffic of London, London seems to have become almost completely and utterly gridlocked over the last two days because of the old tube strike. The confusing bit for me, Sam, is that it's just as busy today when there are trains running as it was yesterday when there weren't. I mean, I think a lot of people who took the, the car in yesterday have done the same thing, sort of there. A sort of hysteresis almost. Yes. I mean, people say that, uh, I think Sadiq Khan was quoted as saying that, you know, we're prepared for all sorts of uh, eventualities, including a nuclear war. Uh, God knows how anybody would get out of London if that was the <laughs> case. We'd all be stuck here. But let's talk about what's happened overnight. Um, it looks as though, Sam, um, that in Ukraine itself, the Russians are upping the ante. You wrote a piece in The Spectator sort of suggesting that people who are looking to the resistance movement and to the people of Ukraine and saying they're, they're winning perhaps of being a bit over-optimistic? I think they're being very over-optimistic. If you, It's kind of this remarkable process where every day we have this series of uh, videos, tweets, media clips put out on Twitter and on other news sources, which are broadly pro-Ukrainian. They're coming mm. from the Ukrainian side. Um, we all obviously want the Ukrainians to do well. Um, and then we wake up in the next morning and the map of uh, Ukraine shows an ever greater incursion of Russian forces into the territory. Yes, and it does seem as though the Russians have been sort of slightly underplaying their military strength, haven't they, up until now? I and mean, we've now seen from from yesterday, late yesterday, Kharkiv getting hit with some, some bigger munitions than they had been before. Uh, we're told now that Kiev residents have been, have been instructed by Vladimir Putin to get out before uh, things start to turn nasty. I mean, do you see any kind of change in policy coming from the West if it does get heavier there? No, I think we've basically taken the steps we already can take. We've put the sanctions in place. We've uh, laid the groundwork for possibly increasing those sanctions a little bit, although they're already getting pretty maximal. Mm. Um, and we've also been very clear that we're not going to be doing military intervention. We're not going to be doing no fly zones because clearly there's, you know, there's a risk of escalation that we don't control there. Right. And when Putin's making these statements about putting the nuclear forces on high, high alert, um, to an extent that there's always a degree of like, this is grand sayings for domestic audience, whatever. Um, my interpretation of that, at least in part, is it's a very clear reminder to the West, actually, look, you have to stay out of this, this is our business. Right. And in terms of the way that Putin is being kind of perceived, if you like, by the West and by commentators here in this country, um, as, as a man who's kind of in, in the last chance saloon, he's kind of at the end of his tether, he's, he's not really getting his way. Do you buy any of that? I think, again, there's a degree of optimism in this. There's, there's this sort of interpretation running around that Putin intended to have this country taken in two or three days, mm. that Kiev was going to fall overnight and it would all be pretty bloodless and done. Um, possibly there was some optimism on the Russian side that they'd be able to get this done faster than they have. But again, they're making very rapid advances. Mm. If you compare this to the Battle of Iraq... Uh, yeah, Baghdad took six days, right? Baghdad took six days after three weeks of warfare. Yeah. And now they're, what, 30 kilometres from Kiev? Mm. I think the other thing that might change is that to date the Russians have been fairly, by their standards at least, fairly restrained. They've been sort of circling cities but not sort of going into them quite so mm. much. They've been sort of fighting on the outskirts. Um, the Russian way of warfare in urban areas is basically just to bomb it flat. Yeah. Uh, they don't do what we do. They, um, you can go back to Grozny and Chechnya, you can look at what they did in Aleppo and Syria. Yeah. Uh, what they'll do is I think a lot of people don't realise as well what their role was in Syria. So maybe talk to us a little bit about that and, and tell us precisely what they did in Syria. Yeah, so the Russian intervention in Syria was um, was extremely aggressive and it's it, it, it they basically just bombed uh, Aleppo with the intention of doing so for as long as the bands were still there. So mm. as long as there was going to be resistance there, they were going to keep hitting it until it surrendered. And this actually picks up um, from something they learned in the 90s. So in 1994, they go into Grozny in Chechnya. 
Um, they send in this column of like 120 armored vehicles, I think. They lose 105 of them. It's a complete debacle. Mm. And then they have this utterly catastrophic victory in which they lose far too many men and far too many machines. Yes. In 1999, and that was another place where there was an awful lot more resistance perhaps than they were expecting. Exactly. Right? And in 1999, they go back under the new Prime Minister Vladimir Putin. Um, and this time, they have a new strategy. They send planes over the cities with leaflets and they say, if you're not gone, in a couple of weeks or whatever the deadline was mm. if you aren't gone you're a terrorist you're a bandit and then they proceeded to bomb the place flat until right. they surrendered uh-huh. and so in Syria something similar happened in Syria something similar happened right so it's, do you expect them to do that eventually then in Ukraine if they turn out to work out to, for themselves that, that the current strategy isn't really having been successful well it's an interesting question because the motive for this war is Putin views Ukraine as a Russian land and the, Russia, and the Ukrainians as a Russian people so this is and there's this really uh, quite amusing uh, instance in which a Russian state-owned broadcaster has basically put up this news article saying, great, we've won the war, Putin is a gather of Russian lands, mm. and done it somewhat prematurely, right. sort of accidental release. So we sort of can see the angle they're coming from. Um, so there is, there is a degree to which people say he might be restrained simply because he views them as being Russians, but I, I expect that we will see more bombing of civilian areas, mm. we will see more escalation, we will see more violence. Um, whether they'll take it quite as far as they have previously is the sort of the question to be determined. Yeah. I mean, is the view in Russia that Ukraine is Russian? And if so, do they not view the people as Russian? And therefore, they wouldn't necessarily want him to bomb them in the same way that perhaps he bombed uh, in Grozny in the way that he bombed in, in Aleppo. Well, this is exactly it. And this is the, the argument people have made for restraint. Um, because they, the Russian nationalists certainly would view them as being one of the Russian peoples, along the Belarusians, mm. and of course the Russians themselves. Um, it's the, 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 the sort of the, the issue is whether or not that's going to sort of uh, take precedence over the strategic consideration, which is that this is how the Russians mm. do things and this is the best way of winning for right. them. And so as far as you're concerned, the way that the British government has kind of reacted so far, is that, do you think, the right thing to do in terms of where they are? I mean, we understand that they're helping uh, with, with uh, arming some of the uh, Ukrainian civilians or perhaps some of the Ukrainian militia. Um, and, and military as well, and also giving them money. Um, to me, that seems, at the moment anyway, to be okay, doesn't it? I think we're on the right side of um, anything potentially escalatory here. We're not getting directly involved, it's the right thing. We're putting these sanctions in place, which obviously are going to have a significant uh, deterrence effect for any future aggression. Yeah. We're arming Ukraine to the best of our ability to fight. I think that's the right thing to be doing. Um, I think there will come a point where there will be a difficult moral question, which is where Ukraine wants to keep fighting, but may possibly have effectively lost the war mm. um, and is arming civilians and we will see Russian troops as they have started to do fire upon civilians they view as being armed right. um, there then becomes a moral question of like of, do you wish to continue arming these people to effectively get themselves killed yes. and I think we're not at that point yet we haven't reached it so we should continue to send weapons we're absolutely still at that point but there will come a point where they have to have a conversation yeah and one of those bizarre kind of things that's happened in the last few days is is the, the advent of kind of citizen um civilians turning themselves into armed troops to go and fight for Ukraine, uh, despite the fact that they don't really have any reason to. Um, we're now being told that if people do that, they might come back and find themselves being prosecuted for war crimes, which is a rather odd situation, isn't it? Um, it's a it's a very strange situation. I believe there's been some conflicting statements from various ministers on this as well, so mm. it, would be, it would be nice to have that cleared up. Well, that's right. I mean, Liz Truss seems to think it's a great idea. Off you go, you know, wave, wave goodbye to your family and, you know, pick up arms and go fight against the Russians. But uh, clearly others who are perhaps cooler heads and people who have been in the military, like Tobias Elwood, think it's probably a really bad idea. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I mean, that's one for the British to to sort out internally. So mm. there'll have to be uh, some sort of conversation. Right. Continue, and as far as the no-fly zone goes, Zelensky's still asking for one. Yep. Um, at the moment, there's not really much dominance of the skies over Ukraine by the Russians, is there? They haven't actually really put that many planes up there. Um, so again, could that situation change? I mean, NATO seems to think that there isn't any point in running a no-fly zone because it would possibly lead to World War Three, given that there would have to be direct sort of engagement with Russian planes, and they might have to be shot down. So, I mean, that's never going to happen, is it? I don't think it's going to happen. And as, and I think NATO are basically correct on this. There's a there's a certain brand of sort of politician and journalist who likes to say, we declare a no-fly zone and that's it. Everyone understands that we're going to do this. We've committed to it. Everyone will back down. I don't think the Russians would see it that way. They'd keep running their flights. They'd keep uh, using their aerial denial systems. Um, and we'd... Uh, we would have to basically commit to it by shooting down Russian jets in the area, which right. would immediately escalate in ways you can't control. Um, I mean, actually, there's a reasonable chance at the moment we say we're going to do this. The mm. first thing Russia does is start launching missiles at NATO airfields in neighbouring countries. Yes. So, and would you have any doubts in your mind that that's what he would do? Because, I mean, there are many who would say, is Putin bluffing? Is he really making out that he's going to you know, punish us with all sorts of horrible things that might happen if the West gets involved? I think if we tried to put planes over... Ukraine and then engage with Russians and shoot them down, then he would absolutely escalate the yes, in response. That doesn't necessarily mean nuclear escalation, mm. but it certainly means you, you know denying data. Well, yeah, because bases. I mean, if he suddenly started firing weapons no, at no. NATO, I mean, I'm not talking about nuclear weapons, no. but just any kind of you know surface to air or whatever down to um, you know into 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 NATO territory, that would have that would have to elicit a response, wouldn't it? Well, this is exactly it, and that's and that's why we won't be seeing those NATO airplanes over Ukraine. Because we would basically be do what we would be doing is putting these planes in and saying yes, if Russia keeps flying missions, we'll shoot them down. Um, and then there's a risk that Putin calls our bluff and says, well, I don't believe you'll mm. engage with me. NATO says we don't think you'll engage with us. And then both sides misunderstand one another into a, a higher tier of conflict. Right, absolutely right. We're talking to Sam Ashworth Hayes, Director of Studies at the Henry Jackson Society. We're going to take your calls coming up in this hour as well because we didn't really take enough of them yesterday. So do make them 0344 499 Coming up, uh, we'll have a look at what the American response is likely to be in the coming days and weeks. Joe Biden made his State of the Union address last night. Uh, some of it was rather rambling, strangely enough and we'll be hearing some of that uh, coming next on talk radio we engineer we think what you think smart speaker smart tv deadly accurate debate talk first talk fast talk radio Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're talking to Sam Ashworth-Hayes from the Henry Jackson Society. We're just going to interrupt that for the moment, though, because we're going to go live to Ukraine to speak to uh, Ina Sovson, who's a Ukrainian MP uh, who's been tweeting out this morning uh, about the town of Bucha, uh, which is north of Kiev, which has uh, been hit by some Russian tanks. Basically, uh, I remember going to this beautiful park with my boyfriend just a few months ago, and I'm sure we shall do that again after the victory. But the picture uh, shows a rather nasty-looking... Uh, um, car crash scenario where everything seems to have been hit um, and it looks I have to say without wishing to make it sound worse than it is you know it looks a bit like Grozny looked when uh, when the Russians were bombing that part of the world uh, how are you doing and what's uh, what's happening where you are today 
Uh, well, indeed, uh, the, the town of Bucha is basically 20 minutes uh, drive from uh, my home. So seeing that on the streets of Bucha is just uh, unbelievable. I haven't seen that with my own eyes, but I'm getting the pictures from people who are there at the moment. Those are all Russian tanks. That mm. is important to understand. So, yeah. so Ukrainians are actually winning on the ground so, so, so much that the Russians didn't expect this level of resistance. Right. Uh, but, but I believe that we shall have lots of work to be done after after the war is over. Yes. Uh, but overall, the situation in Kyiv is more stable and more quiet than it was before. Uh, but the situation in my native city of Kharkiv is uh, just terrifying. Uh, the Russians have been bombing the city from air for three days now. People are living in bunkers, in shelters uh, for three days now. I'm getting messages from people in Kharkiv. And they're all saying this, uh, please, you know, let the world know that uh, what Putin is doing to us right now is a genocide, is an act of state terrorism. And we just want him out of our country, yeah. uh, which is uh, particularly important uh, in this situation because Kharkiv is a largely Russian-speaking city. And uh, Putin was claiming that he's coming here to liberate the Russian-speaking population. Well, now the only person they want to be liber liberated from is Putin and mm. his Russian troops, uh, which are hitting uh, Kharkiv so hardly. But yes. again, what is important to understand is that even after three days of heaviest bombardment of Kharkiv, they didn't get into the city on tanks. So, so the army on the ground is doing miraculous job in protecting the city. Yes, absolutely right. And of course, um, uh, there must be an awful lot of structural damage being done uh, to Kharkiv in particular in, in, in that part of the world. And of course, one of the things that, 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 that surely the Russian people would not want to see um, is, is Putin bombing effectively his own people. Uh, so Putin is bombing the, the the city so heavily, indiscriminately. Like whenever he says that he's just uh, uh, targeting uh, military targets, it's just nonsense. It's just another lie, uh, as everything he's saying. He has bombed uh, the hospital in the area where I grew up. He's had a bomb on the central square. He's had a bomb onto the uh, university building, which is literally five minutes away from the school that I went to. Uh, we do have uh, 16 deaths of children confirmed because of, of Putin's attack. So whenever he is saying that he is just targeting military targets and that this is a peacekeeping operation, whatever, this is just complete nonsense because we do have heavy casualties among the civilian population here, both in Kharkiv and in several other cities, uh, particularly on the east and on the south of Ukraine. Yes. And also, uh, given what he said about how he was going to rid the country of the neo-Nazis uh, who were in Ukraine, kind of ironic that the Russian missile struck a television tower next to the burial site uh, and a Holocaust memorial yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Baben Yar, it is called. It's an it's, uh, important place for all the Jews. Uh, it, and uh, they are hitting Baben Yar, uh, claiming that they are cleaning it from, from uh, Nazis. Uh, another picture, uh, which I was about to tweet, but I will do that after after the show, uh, is a picture of, of Jewish uh, soldiers who are praying, uh, and they are wearing the traditional Jewish cover, mm. but they are also wearing Ukrainian uniform. Yeah. So that is just for, for anyone who claims that he's uh, cleaning the Kiev from Nazis. Well, we have Jews on our side mm. fighting in Ukrainian army against Russian invasion. Of course. And just uh, something else that you pointed out on your Twitter uh, feed, you know, that you are actually an opposition MP. You're not on the same side as President Zelensky. But obviously, at this moment in time, everybody is pulling together. But just so that people get a picture of the democracy as it is in, in Ukraine, um, you have a regular parliament where you have an opposition, where you have a government, and you don't always agree on everything. 
Oh, surely. And that is uh, the main threat to Putin, actually. He really doesn't like the very fact that a democratic state can exist uh, on uh, just uh, right next to him, because that sets bad example for the Russian people. Uh, the very idea of democracy, the very idea of human rights, that is something that he's fighting against uh, in Ukraine. So, so he's just not fighting Ukraine, but the very idea of democratic state being possible in Eastern Europe. And we do have our disagreements with the president. Uh, we do have our disagreements uh, with the um, uh, uh, with his party, uh, but we are all staying united. The only people who actually have fled the country uh, among the MPs are the representatives of the pro-Russian political party uh, who are kind of supportive of Russia. But for some reason, as soon as the war started, they have all left for Western Europe. So, uh, But other than that, all the other MPs, all the other political groups uh, and the whole 40 million of Ukrainians are staying united against this Russian invasion, regardless of their political affiliation. Mm. And as far as the next few days goes, Inna, I mean, you'd like to see Putin stopping, but he's not likely to. Are you worried that he's going to escalate um, the targets and he's going to start attacking more civilian targets in particular? Uh, that is definitely a threat. Uh, that does depend upon whether we shall be getting additional support to, uh, in terms of uh, establishing no-fly zone over uh, Ukraine. I know it's a contested issue on the West, uh, but uh, you should just see the pictures from Kharkiv and what uh, he is doing there. And in no way this is acceptable uh, to be happening in peaceful Europe in the 21st century. So I believe the whole world should just realize that he is fighting against this uh, whole idea of peaceful Europe being possible. And if he is not stopped in Ukraine, uh, he will proceed. He already claimed that he doesn't like Poland in NATO. He doesn't like Hungary in NATO. He has issues with Finland. So unless he stopped here in Ukraine, uh, he will just proceed further. And that is why I believe the whole of Europe should just stay united and, and help us uh, fight back so that to make sure he never does anything like that to anyone else. Ina Solson, thank you very much indeed for your time. Ukrainian MP reporting into us here. Uh, she's from uh, Kharkiv, which is under attack quite heavily from the Russian forces right now. Uh, we're going to be speaking to Sam Ashworth Hayes about all of this and more, of course, coming up next on Talk Radio after the news. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. A hollowed out volcano of common sense. Listen on your smart speaker. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are, of course, the home of common sense. We'll be bringing you live uh, backwards and forwards to Ukraine throughout the course of the show. Uh, any developments uh, at this end as well, we'll be bringing you, we'll be looking at Joe Biden's speech from last night uh, in uh, the uh, House. Uh, this, the, Sam Ashworth Hayes is here with us as well from the Henry Jackson Society. We'll have a look at all of that. We'll talk a little bit about America. Uh, but you know the number, of course, 0344-499-1000. Sam, we were just talking about the Americans' involvement and how... Putin has clearly picked his moment, hasn't he? Because he can see, not only from the NATO perspective, that NATO is kind of not really uh, in the mood for any kind of uh, military intervention as such. He can see that Joe Biden represents an America which is sick to death of foreign engagement in foreign lands like Afghanistan, a long way away from, from Washington, D.C. and New York. And he sort of picked what would appear to be a moment when the West is at sort of its weakest point. Well, that's, exa that's exactly the sort of logic that's gone into this. You have a, a major refocusing of Western attention towards China and the Indo-Pacific. Um, you have this withdrawal from Afghanistan, sort of showing this, you know, the West is to some degree sick of foreign interference. And even before this war started, you have Joe Biden saying very clearly, like, look, there's not going to be any circumstance under which American troops are going to be sent to fight in Ukraine. 
Ukraine's not part of NATO. There are no defence commitments there. Right. Let's have a listen to Joe Biden uh, last night. He made his State of the Union address, the first State of the Union address as a president of the United States. Here he is. To our fellow Ukrainian Americans who forged the deep bond that connects our two nations, we stand with you. We stand with you. Putin may circle Kyiv with tanks, but he'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. He'll never, he'll never extinguish their love of freedom, and he will never, never weaken the resolve of the free world. Now, I'm not sure whether they're clapping the fact that he said the Iranian people there, because it was quite a good comedy turn. But you do have to worry, don't you, that this is a man who supposedly is the leader of the free world, uh, and he says Iranian instead of Ukrainian. I mean, I know they sound a bit the same, but even for an American, you'd go, <laughs> surely this is something you need to get right, Mr. President. I, I suspect this one's got less to do with his uh, grasp of geography and more to do with his ability to speak in public. Yes. Well, I mean, that would even be more worrying. And in a way, it's quite good that the Americans aren't getting involved because you would worry about a man like him in charge of a massive kind of military machine, wouldn't you? Well, it's an interesting point, actually, because he has something of a record of sort of gaps in public speaking where, you know, he accidentally implied that we'd be committed to defending Taiwan, yeah. uh, which uh, is not American policy and the Defence uh, Department had to come up very rapidly and say it wasn't. So. Yes, exactly right. Let's take a call because I want to hear from some of you out there, see what you're thinking of what is going on right now. 0344 499 Pippa is in Leicestershire. Hello, Pippa. Hello. Hello, yes. Pippa. Yes, it's Mike Graham here. How are you? Hello, Mike. Fine, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's Tessa. Um, just, I've got a question, really. Um, because NATO countries went into Iraq and Afghanistan... Mm. What's the reason for them not going into uh, Ukraine? Well, I might ask that one uh, to our guest, Sam Ashworth. Hey, Sam, I mean, clearly, I would imagine it's because uh, Russia wasn't involved in either of those incidents. But you go ahead. So it's uh, it's basically a different scenario entirely. As you say, um, NATO is this sort of primarily a defensive bloc and it commits to defend its own nations. Uh, Ukraine is not one of those countries and to put military action in place without having pre-committed to doing so would be to run the risk of extremely dangerous uh, escalation of conflict with Russia. Uh, what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan was a sort of coalition of countries, including non-NATO members, um, turning around and uh, sort of implementing military force in countries where there was no sort of risk of further escalation with another nuclear superpower. So there's your answer, uh, Tessa, because at the end of the day, really, um, they're frightened. I wouldn't well, say they're, okay. they're frightened. I'd, I'd say they're. Um, I'd say they're. They're being very rational about what they do and what they don't do. Because at the same time, you can turn around and look at what happened in uh, Syria, where you sort of have you know Russian jets overflying, you have American jets nearby, and everyone was sort of very careful to sort of distinguish what they were doing mm. and to make sure that you know we're not bombing your militias and, and vice versa, and, and well, not so much that, but not bombing your positions as such, to make sure that you don't run this risk of accidental escalation. That's. Um, because that is the purpose of a nuclear arsenal. The purpose of a nuclear arsenal is to basically keep people, if, if in your words, frightened. It's, it's to deter ac direct action against but one But should another. it not also deter people from going into countries like Ukraine, Tessa? Well, yes, it should. And, you know, you just feel that Russia knows this. Um, it's a calculated move. Um, and the Ukrainians have just been so incredible you know, yes. I really take my hats off to them, all of them. Well, they're terribly brave, aren't they? And I, I think the problem here is that if uh, Putin uh, wins this in terms of how he's able to kind of encroach into another country without really any military retaliation from the West, that's going to empower him, isn't it? I would have thought so. Yeah, I would have thought so too. 
Uh, Tessa, great question. Thank you very much indeed. I mean, I think that's the problem, isn't it? Because yes, it's I, you know, in military terms, you can understand the tactical nature of the conversations that are being had currently in Washington and in, in Downing Street and all the rest of it. But in the end, if you're in Ukraine right now and you're hearing from the West that we can't really help you other than to give you some covert arms and some, you know, military training and maybe some money, you know, you're going to think, well, what's the point of, of, of NATO exactly? Well, it's I mean, it actually it sometimes it really highlights the point of NATO, which is Ukraine was desperate for NATO membership. And if it were a member, we'd be committed to defending it. And this probably would not. And how happened. would that look then if that was the case? I don't think this war would happen. If, uh, NATO, so you think he wouldn't have come in? He would not. I don't think he'd attack a NATO country. So no. you don't believe the Ukrainian MPs and those in Ukraine who say if he does win here, he will not stop. He will come for Estonia. He will come for Finland, possibly, as you said. So this is this is one of the things where you need to be really careful. Um, you have to be as NATO. You have to be careful. You have to be incredibly explicit about your commitment to defending your allies, to commit defending your partners. We have committed and said we will defend Poland. We will defend Estonia. So we need to be able to do that. And actually, that, I would say, is a big lesson here. If yeah. you have a very weak conventional posture, um, your conventional forces aren't at strength. You invite almost this risk where Putin sort of looks at it and starts saying, well, actually, you don't have enough troops there to fight. If I really rolled in and, say, linked up um, with Kaliningrad the, to, the, uh, to the main Russian body mm. of the territory, once, it, once that's been done, would you actually come back and fight me? Would you actually sort of escalate over this? So you need to be able to deter that conventionally as well as with, mm. uh, nuclear threats. So I think there is a real lesson here, which is that the West should be spending far more defence and having this sort of um, defensive posture in, yeah. in Europe. Is there anything that suggests to you that Putin would perhaps walk away if he was given some part of um, of Ukraine, for example, the eastern section of it, but not that Ukraine would accept that, but I mean, if, if that was to be the way out for him? It would be interesting to see what he would view as sort of an acceptable result. Um, one suggestion has been that you know the return of some territories to Russia, or what he sees to return rather of some territories to Russia, um, plus sort of a basically a commitment to neutrality. It's not going to join the EU. It's not going to join NATO, and Russia would effectively have some sort of veto of its foreign policy. Mm. Um, so you end up with this or with client state is what he views acceptable. Obviously, that's definitely not going to be what uh, Kiev sees as acceptable. Mm. So. No. Well, we don't seem to be any closer to any kind of solution, but I really appreciate your time. Sam Ashworth-Hayes, thank you very much indeed. He's the Director of Studies at the Henry Jackson Society. We've got lots to talk about. Uh, many calls to take. 0344 499 Simon in Bolton will come to you next on Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.
Independent talk. Proper talk. News talk. Talk radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. With the self-appointed revolutionary of reason, Mike Graham. On talk radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio, the home, of course, of Common Sense. There's a lot of people seemingly losing their minds out there at the moment. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe you just can't take the uh, critical faculty of trying to think anymore because you've had somebody thinking for you for such a long time that now that you're having to do it for yourself again, uh, you're having all sorts of problems with it. There's all manner of conspiracies going on. There's all manner of people who think that it's not really a war, that it's something to do with the West, something to do with the World Economic Forum, It's something to do with America uh, pulling the strings. You know, Vladimir Putin and Russia have invaded Ukraine. It's that simple, okay? Everything else flows from that particular statement. That is the statement you need to think about. Uh, You do not need to think about whether or not you're seeing the right kind of war footage that would make you approve of the fact that a war is actually going on. And uh, if you want to call me and argue with me about it, then please be my guest. You know the number, 0344 499 1000. War is a terrible thing. It's a horrible thing. I've been in war zones and they're not very pretty places to be. And particularly when they're in urban centres, particularly when they're in places where you wouldn't normally expect there to be a battle zone. It's awful. It's horrible. Nobody should be wanting it to get worse. Nobody should be wanting anybody from here to be involved in it unless it was going to be to end it. It's as simple as that. Tonya Buxton is here with us in this hour as well. She's going to be telling us what she makes of it all. Uh, There's been an awful lot of things to take in this week. Also, of course, Joe Biden uh, and his State of the Union address will go across to Westminster later for Prime Minister's questions. It's all happening. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Time to say a very good morning to Tonya Buxton. Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, actually. It's all dull out there, isn't it? I know. It? I was just saying that I, I'm missing the Cypriot sun. I'll have to go and visit my parents You might soon. have to. I mean, I woke <laughs> up this morning and was feeling a bit kind of blur, and I was kind of found myself yeah. saying to myself, I'm rather bored is not the right word, but I'm sort of frustrated by yeah. what's going on at the moment, you know, because we've moved on from COVID. It's almost as though it didn't exist. I mean, nobody talks about it anymore. Um, yeah. It's all gone. I mean, yesterday we got the uh, the vaccine mandate completely and utterly done away with. You Thankfully. Know, and that's thank go. you together declaration thank to you all. Very well much done. Indeed, and to all the people who are working hard yes, on that. Yes, and, and we may talk about that a bit later yeah. on. But what but, are you making of what you're seeing at the moment? So I, I thought, I was thinking about it last night when we were talking about it, because I'm a Cypriot, so I'm um, of Cypriot origin. Both my parents are... Uh, born in Cyprus and they came over here and I was born here and the Cypriot war that happened at the time so I'm talking about a country that has been invaded Mm. by an aggressor so Cyprus has 17% um, Turkish people living there so it's very similar to what Putin's done Mm. he's saying well I'm going to save the Russians when Turkey invaded Cyprus it said it was coming to save the Turkish population there and um, one quarter of Cypriots were dispersed from right. their homeland in 1974. And before that, was it a mixed island, if you like? I mean, yeah, were, were people there, just there living was, wherever they lived? They lived wherever they wanted, but there were kind of some places that were more Turkish right. and some that were more Greek. But it was just 17%, don't forget, you know. And so that's that. it was a smaller population. Mm. But they lived in, in unity, and unfortunately, due to, to many 
things. Um, it, I don't think it was the Cypriots themselves that caused the war. It right. was the mixing up of American powers, British powers, wanting Cyprus is very strategically placed. Yes. It's strategically placed for the Cold War, it's strategically placed for the Middle East Wars. Yeah. Uh, you know, So for intelligence, it's strategically placed. And we had someone who was running Makarios at the time who thought that he was bigger than these powers. Right. So it's, it's, there's and a very there's long RAF, convoluted... There's still an RAF base there, Yeah, there's a, there's a few. And, and on the other side, I think there's American bases. But my point of it is is that that happened in 1974. Mm. We're now in 2022. But the pain of that war is still visceral for some people. Yeah. I have an aunt, for example, so she's coming up to 70 now. And she was engaged to a soldier who went off to war. Yeah. And he became one of the 300,000 missing people, missing soldiers. Wow. So she doesn't know whether he's Missing dead, in Cyprus? M missing, just missing mm. from the war. They yeah. went off to fight and they disappeared. Right. Um, f pictures have been found of, of these soldiers on their knees um, with Turkish soldiers around them. Um, there have been some mass graves found where they've been able to find the bodies. But it's not, you know, some people just will never know what happened to their loved ones. Mm. Um, so they live this, this painful life you know, mothers who who don't know whether their sons are alive, right. children who don't know whether their fathers are alive, and this has gone back to 1974. The difference between Cyprus and Ukraine is it's a tiny little country, mm. and often it's used as an experiment to see how far people can get poked before yes. they do anything. Much like when they went into the bank accounts <laughs> and right. took out everybody's money. Yeah. You know, nobody cared about it. The EU went in and said, right, we're taking out your money because you know because of uh, what's happening in the financial crisis, yeah. and, and that's it. Nobody said anything. No, right. And so this is why I'm, I always feel that Cyprus is a really good place to look at, to mm. see what could happen. Yes. And, you know, this war that happened in Cyprus is, like I said, it's 1974 and it's still really painful. It's the only uh, capital city in the world that's still divided. Yes. There's so much that still goes on. Because so that green counts, sort of zone, as they call it, yeah. which was still somewhere, I seem to remember back in the 90s, I think it was, that there were still skirmishes going on. People were still getting sort of it's, it's shot kind of, at from the other side of the fence. That's right. I mean, there were still skirmishes. I mean, one one uh, guy, uh, Cypriot guy, climbed up a flag to tear down the, I remember the that. Turkish yeah. flag and they shot him dead, right. you know, just for t pulling down a flag. I know, you know, it's kind of like, wow, this is happening in Europe, a bit it's, like this yeah. but situation nobody cares in Ukraine. It's Right. Because it's little and it's a Petri dish, an experiment dish. But my point is what's going on in Ukraine now is that the pain of this war, mm. even now, if it stopped tomorrow, the grief of it will go yeah. on for for generations. And you can't. And I mean, I, I talk about this because Bosnia is the only real war zone I've been in, but you can't underestimate how much damage is done no. by fighting and by you know hard um, shells being fired into buildings. Yeah. I was in a place called Vitez in the middle of central Bosnia, which is beautiful, by the way. I mean, it's a most stunningly good-looking country, and it's got amazing. Um, roads and, and incredible forests and beautiful lakes and then suddenly you come around a corner and there's a mosque because you know the the, the country was conquered by um the the, the muslims from yeah. north africa way back when but it looks quite incongruous it's quite strange but strangely beautiful you know yeah. but vitez had this massive i got there and there'd been a massive car bomb that had blown up the high street and there was just this massive great big crater um and everything around it had been destroyed and it just looks horrible. Yeah, I mean, and you know, all, all, all the history, all the, all the buildings, all the homes, all the love—it just disappears, and and, and it, it doesn't come back. No. But, so it's. It, and it creates this hatred. I mean, I stayed in a hatred, house yeah. which was run by a woman who lived in this place, in Vitez, and um, she'd had a postman for the best part of twenty years. She'd reported the postman to the local militia, the Croat militia, because it turned out he was a Serb, and they came and shot him dead. 
And I said, but you knew this guy. Oh, yeah, we knew him. But And so you got on with him, fine. Yeah, we got on with him. But then we found out he was a Serb, so we had to have him killed. See, this is a mindset that's, that's awful, horrific. But I do think that when you've been under kind of um, USSR or that communist, you you have you do have a different slightly mindset to, to the yes. one that we have. And that, I just want to take, bring it back to Cyprus. That, that So Turkey feels that Cyprus belongs to it because of it, it was invaded by the Ottoman Empire years right. ago. And then Putin feels that Ukraine belongs mm. to the USSR because it was once part of that kind of Soviet bloc. Yes. And so these despots go in and do what they like because they think well, they've got history on their side. It just doesn't work that way. No. And and my point is, is that, you know, Cyprus is still invaded <laughs> by a, a, an invader that's not, you know, northern Cyprus is not recognised by anyone apart from Pakistan. Mm. And yet people move on. Yet I see adverts now on television for northern than Cyprus. The thing I remember about Northern Cyprus is it was the place where people went who were trying to run away from the law. Yeah, Because probably. Kenny Noy went there, yeah. who was the, you know, the, the guy who ended up being locked up for uh, the terrible crime, the crimes that he committed. And then also the, the pretty Polly guy. Yeah. Do you remember him? Yes. Who went off to Northern Cyprus and hid out for a long time. And it's a strange thing that nobody talks about, really. Exactly. So I just want to point out that the, the pain of war is not not that anybody needs to know. It it does it's not going to go even if it stops tomorrow. Mm. And you know we really do have to do everything we can to stop it. Yes. You know I, I don't feel that 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 was done. And all these people that negotiate and uh, for wars, you know they do war planning. These people that get six figure sums to decide what to do in these strategists, they all said it wouldn't happen. So, you know, much like those people that were doing COVID forecasts, yeah. they're not very good at their jobs, are no. they? And they didn't do the they didn't take the right steps from a decade ago mm. to appeasing Putin to not getting to this stage. Right. Well, I was talking to Peter Hitchens about this on Monday and the fact that um, that Putin at one point, at several points in the last 20 years, wanted to join NATO. And it would have actually been quite sensible to, to allow that to happen because yeah. then even if you didn't agree with everything they did, they're all under the same umbrella. Exactly. And you can say, OK, well, in that case, if you want this, we can give you that. Or, you know, you could have, yeah. rather than sort of isolating him and creating him as this kind of, you know, terror, uh, bully boy, guy who's on the outside of everything, just throwing stones at you. Well, I, I, I don't think he's a stable man, to be honest with you. I think he has despotic views. But in, the, the best way yeah, to get round someone... No, but the best way to get round someone like that is to be inclusive. Yeah. When I was a school teacher, primary school teacher, and we were trying to deal with bullies mm. who were bullying these lovely children, the way to do it wasn't to ostracise them more and keep them out more no. and, and poke them more because then they would pick on the weaker ones yes. more. The way to get round these bullies was to be inclusive, yes. bring them in, have talks with them, keep keep things nice and open and fluid, mm. not, you know, ignore them. Right. And that's exactly what's happened here. It is very basic. Mm. So these people who are strategists, did they not see that? Do well, they I not think understand it's all part, that? Yeah, I think it's all part of a bigger problem, which is the West's inability now to kind of do anything. Yeah. You know, in the same way that it's hard to get anything done. I mean, London at the moment, I know for you people who are not in London will probably think this is very London-centric, but the whole city the has been at a standstill yeah. since the day before yesterday. Yeah. Because despite the fact that today they're not on a strike... The, the, apparently the hangover from the strike has meant that nobody can go anywhere. It'll be the same tomorrow. It'll be the same probably on Friday. It's unbelievable. I mean, and nothing really works in this country terribly well, does it? Oh, and we're so busy trying to find fights within ourselves. Mm. And, and that's the thing, you know, causing issues about 
race and 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 sex and all of these things instead of coming together as mm. people and being united because actually you know what i think everyone's on the right page we're all good people and it's it's it reminds me of the, the immune system so mm. our immune system our healthy immune system needs to have germs now and again because right. it needs to keep itself busy to yes. fight the germs now if you are keeping yourself ultra clean and you know antibacterial everything you will end up with your immune system attacking you because yeah. it needs something to do compromised and, compromise and therefore that reminds me of the psyche of Britain at the moment mm. you know we're actually in a good place and instead of acknowledging that we're in a great place we're infighting with each other yeah. instead of uniting together with humanity to do good and yes. that's what's really breaking my heart because you know I love Great Britain and I'm watching it crumble away and yeah. it breaks my heart and it's being done really at the behest of those people who think they're cleverer than everybody else I oh think. yes and those people in this word this phrase the greater good mm. this phrase for me is 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 chilling it's become a chilling phrase and my point is also is that you know we know that we were lied to with these forecasts yeah. they they were lies but they were lies allegedly for the greater good so mm. my point is is if you have so to right lie then. about something then it's wrong yes. and that's the fact you should give people truth at all times and once you have the truth then they can make decisions from that but we have been lied to again and again and again throughout covid and that's why now people are naturally not believing what mm. they're hearing about what's going on in Ukraine because we feel that we don't trust yeah, anyone but what's anymore. happened to the critical faculties that people used to have in this country which is that you know there are some things that you can believe and there are some things that you can examine and there are other things uh, that you can't believe and therefore you don't have to have everything uh, in one box which is what seems to be happening where they don't believe anything anymore but the, the, so they don't believe anything they don't believe anything because you know unfortunately the journalists that Pre-COVID, pre, pre I thought journalists were critical thinkers that would give you both sides of the story. Became, Some I don't know, little, not many. little donkeys of, of not many. Now they become donkeys of whatever yeah. the state told them to say. Yes. And so we don't believe anything. So it's hard to be a critical thinker when you're, you, you're, you've got so much doubt. So you're either on one page we believe everything that the mainstream media mm. tells you. And we know that much of that over the past two years has been complete and utter mm. lies. Mm. You know, you know as well as I do if you said that, you know, that COVID came out of Wuhan, you were a racist and yes. you, you know, a misinformation. Uh -huh. If you talked about any of the things, if you actually said, actually, this this um, vaccine isn't necessarily a, a vaccine that works in the way that all other vaccines right. says, doesn't stop you catching it, doesn't stop you from getting it. Oh my God, you're a COVID idiot. Anti-vaxxer. Anti-vaxxer. So all of these things have turned out to be truth, but mm. the media was telling us they were lies. Mm. So this is where the problem lies now. We, we've we lost our trust. Yes. We need a reshake up to, to, to re-trust what we're being told. Yes. We need new But I don't think you should have us. ever trusted what you've been to. See, my upbringing would tell you that I wouldn't trust anything. I mean, it's not, but it doesn't mean I don't believe anything. It just means that I ask questions about it. But Michael, you couldn't actually find any more information. You only had one rhetoric mm. unless you dug really deep in social media. So if you're someone who, who is not savvy with social media and you're literally just reading the papers or watching the news, it was very difficult mm. to get the other side of the story. But of course, the other side of the story for me, though, was always common sense. It was always yes. like, you know, are yes. you really telling me that if we all leave this bar at 10 o'clock at night, then we're not going to get COVID. You yes. know, if oh, we all please. sit down only in a table with six people, that's going to make a difference yes. you know, to something that's in the air. Yes. Or if I eat a scotch egg, that's going to be better than if I don't eat a scotch egg. You or, know, the, you just knew. or the best one, when you're sitting down, it doesn't know, it, it won't come to you. But if you stand up to go to the toilet, mm. then you've got to put a mask. I mean, yeah. why are people still wearing exactly. masks? Don't get me going with that one. Yeah. I just, it, but it, that is the thing. I'll tell you what, though, there's a lot fewer of them. There's a, very, there's a lot very fewer, but many... there are still people wearing these nonsensical mm. masks that do nothing. And actually, 
actually, I was reading something that Fauci wrote a while ago when he was writing about the Spanish flu, that he was thinking that the second wave, and this is Fauci writing mm. it here, that the second wave of, of, of a lot of the illness happened through bacterial infections because people were wearing these masks. It wouldn't be surprising, would it? It's insane. I know. It's absolutely mad. It is absolutely mad. Let's talk a little bit about the vaccine mandate because uh, we did yes. mention it earlier at the top of the show. We did. Um, but Can I do a little, a little dance? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, whoop, 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 I think whoop, so. We did but it. But more interestingly, though, I wonder what happens to those people who decided that they were going to leave because they were under so much pressure that they didn't they fancy staying. They must be reinstated. Is there anything there for them? I think, I think the legals are going through. Yeah. I know that the people at the Together Declaration are looking at that. The lawyers are looking at it to make sure that, they, that these people get reinstated. Mm. Otherwise, that that's ridiculous yeah. and completely unfair. And we right. know now, we know now that Omicron, as we keep saying, has been nature's vaccine. Mm. It's amazing. The, the, the vaccine uh, doesn't make any difference to it. It doesn't stop him catching it. It doesn't stop him giving it. It doesn't work with this because it's it's mutated so yes. often that the original vaccine doesn't even work with Omicron. Right. And Omicron is a cold, which so is a great natural, news. So a natural kind of resilience has been sort of somehow taken over. But also now in. we know from um, the former Secretary of State for Health, I talked to Laura about this yesterday, Matt Hancock. It's all about love. Love. I mean, can you believe this guy? No, he gives can me... You he, he I mean, is he the creepiest man? He makes my flesh crawl, <laughs> Michael. He just gives he's me the He's just love. unbelievable, isn't he? He's horrific. He's, he's horrific. I, he needs to go into his little box, yeah. shut the lid, stay there. Stay there. For, uh, you know, no one try, wants to no, hear from him. No. You know, try not to reinvest, you know, reinvest yourself in public life yeah. for at least two years, I think, minimum. Uh, Two decades. Two decades would be fine. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know who he talks to that gives know. him this idea that he anybody wants but to any, hear anything from him. Nobody does. He needs to just be quiet. I know. Shocking. Do you know what I'd really like to talk to you at some stage? We're going to manage today to talk about um, the report that came out from Papyrus today. Go on. Which is, um, Papyrus is a charity that deals with suicides. Okay. And uh, another report came out today, and I just want to give you some... Some statistics and some figures um, that suicide is the bi- biggest killer of under 35 year olds in the UK. Mm. Particularly men, right? Particularly men. So one third are um, men. So it's it's particularly young young men and boys. So one in three of those suicides are under 18 year olds. Um, over 200 school children are lost to suicide every single year. Um, and I think it's, uh, according to Papyrus, it's five children a day kill themselves in wow. suicide. So let's let that sink in, because yeah. when those COVID numbers were being spurted out at mm. us, that that made suicide much much worse. The yeah. lockdown made suicides much worse. Yeah. Um, the the documents haven't quite come out yet because there's a delay in the coroner's reports and things. Mm. But we've got to address the fact that society now is is driving more and more young adults and young children to suicide. Yeah. Society is causing suicide in children, mm. and the things that cause that are isolation. Hello, lockdown. Yeah. Not being able to mix with their peers. Hello, lockdown. Yeah. Not being able to talk to people. Right. Hello, lockdown. So lockdown, I believe, has a great deal to For do with sure. it. But it was going bad anyway. Mm. It was already uh, suicide rates in children were rising because of social media. And one of the things that I find really upsetting is that there, it's schools and education are the, one of the biggest causes of the stress and the anxiety. Yes. So we need to just back off on that. Do you think it's because they're not organising themselves properly or without kind of giving any thoughts to the children's minds. Absolutely. It's all about um, accomplishing. So it's all about the the schools wanting to be on the right list. So look how well we did. And putting that pressure on the children. Mm. And also parents. I know, I mean, I've always said that parents need to, to... 
understand what's going to make their children happy and for them to have a successful life. And it's yeah. not getting a straight A in anything. If they get a straight A, fantastic. You know, one of my children, Sophia, has a first in her maths degree. Wow, am I so proud of her. But I did not put any pressure on her. Right. You know, that was down to her to do it because she is naturally inclined that yeah. way. There are many children, I have other children that are not academically yeah. minded and haven't done so well and yeah. won't. But they will find their niche in something else. We as parents and educational bodies should not be putting such pressure on children. We should be trying to get them to do the best yep. they can without putting this horrible pressure on them to succeed. And and these this schools, the, the kind of the institutions should be not be putting pressure on kids just so they can tick boxes and say, oh, look, we're at the top of the leaders board or whatever yes. it is. We have to take children's mental health seriously mm. and we Absolutely. have to be teaching you know what about it. I found out it? yesterday, which I didn't even know, um, for most of the month of February, there's been a lecturer strike. So an awful lot of people who haven't done a stroke of work actually in a lecturing hall yeah. for two years are now on strike yeah. claiming that they've got unbelievably difficult conditions of work it I lecturing unbelievable teenagers right in a university it's been unbelievable i think it's how many it's something huge numbers of universities have partaken in this and um, many lecturers are, are coming out and saying that they're that you know that they're working is untenable to them and you just think what is it you want to do mm. they just they got too cushy sitting at home twiddling their thumbs doing things over zoom i mean i know from kids that i know at university at the moment a lot of them not forget about just the zoom bit that's awful but they're yeah. not even live zooms they're yeah. pre-recorded zooms right there's no interaction you're paying all that money nine thousand to go to, to university talk to, nobody. to talk to nobody and right. have nothing with nobody yeah. i mean it's just completely outrageous and same with the teachers unions mm. we know that children well, not they're going the ones to school. still driving because still schools are saying wear a mask in the in the corridor uh, well some schools are still doing they it. are still doing that and I, I i would very much like anybody's school who's doing that to tweet me so i can send them a letter to send to that school yeah i've had to have strong words with one of my one of my son's schools uh, they told him to uh, socially distance and thankfully my son turned around and said why because of COVID. What about COVID? COVID's over. The yeah. government have said that we don't have any other right. restrictions. The government said that I can even come to school if I want when I've got COVID. Mm. So why are you socially distancing me? And he got detention for it. Of course he did. Good I for mean, him. you know, and, and then, the then boy I after my own <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're out of time again. Oh, no. I, I can't believe it. But listen, we covered a lot of ground there, we so did. that was good. We did. And it was lovely to see you as ever. Tony Buxton will be back, of course. Um, we may have you on Plank of the Week soon as well. Oh, I'd I love think. to. Yes. Um, lots more to do. Uh, Prime Minister's questions coming up at midday, of course, and uh, we will be back after this. Talk Radio, the UK's official opinion exchange. Captivating, campaigning, controversial. Reach for the story. Radio with grown-up opinions. Don't get angry. Get on Talk Radio, the home of common sense. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. We are, of course, about to take a little trip down to Westminster. The corridors of power beckon for us because it is Wednesday and it is Prime Minister's questions. But before we do any of that, another story has come across the desk this morning, which I thought I must share with you because we talk an awful lot about the NHS, uh, how it's not really fit for purpose in so many different ways, particularly uh, when it comes to the GPs of this country who, for some reason, took it upon themselves to ban everybody from visiting them uh, and telling them that they only really diagnose them over the video link or over um, the phone. And so uh, we're now being told there's an organisation called NHS Improvements, which I must confess I didn't hear about until just now. Uh, apparently they're going to suggest that in October, come October, um, GP surgery is going to be required to be open on the weekends, on Saturdays specifically, and also in the evenings. I'm amazed that they haven't done this before. Let's talk to Dr. Peter Holden right now uh, to find out what he makes of it all, GP himself. Dr. Peter, very good morning to you. 
Morning, Mike. I must correct you on one thing. When we went video, we were ordered to. We didn't have the choice. Yes. But yeah, this well, is about patient choice, um, opening longer. But, but sufficiently customer choice needs surplus human capacity. And yes. Well, the trouble is, of course, that you were ordered to do it presumably by the NHS, weren't you? Yes. And that's the problem for me, because the NHS is run so badly. I've got absolutely no problem whatsoever with individual doctors, uh, with people who work in hospitals and all of that. But what I do have a massive problem with is the way that the NHS appears to organise itself. Yeah, you need to look at the way it's managed. It's managed by career managers who say to ministers what ministers want to hear. And ministers want to hear what you led in with about opening hours. But you're fishing in the same pool of people to do the day job as to do these extended hours. An example, to try and relieve the load in general practice, we now have paramedics. Where have they come? We've stripped them off the ambulance yeah. You, you, They keep robbing Peter to pay Paul. But it is about customer choice. And if, if the patients wanted this, fine. But choice requires spare human capacity, spare infrastructure, uh, spare operational time and spare cash to reward the extra effort. Mm. We've neither the capacity, the surplus resource, or the spare time. If every GP was to work 40 hours a week, we'd need 80,000 GPs on current demand. Yeah. We've got 43,000. The figures speak for themselves. And what people don't see, and even the government accepts, that behind every consultation is a 35%, probably near a 50 time tale of admin doing the blood tests interpreting them writing the referral letters sweeping up the pieces that other people haven't finished and drop on our desk and this is what is the problem there are not enough of us to do what people want we can deliver what people need but I don't think we can deliver what people want. Yes. I mean, I'm very happy uh, to hear that many patients are, are, are not uh, are not opposed at all to having a video um, diagnosis. And for many people, that works fine. But for a lot of people, it doesn't. I, we, no, also it heard, we also heard, didn't we, relatively recently, that there are an awful lot of time wasters in the system as well. But surely somebody with a brain uh, could come up with a way of actually improving the system so that when you are seeing somebody you know you're seeing somebody that needs to be seen as opposed to somebody that could be seen elsewhere or who doesn't necessarily need to come in you know surely surely could we not start charging people or something what you're describing is triage and triage is best done by the most senior and experienced person unfortunately that means a gp there are not many time wasters uh most people don't know and the trouble is they don't know they don't know and it needs somebody to do that but if you're going to triage, everybody knows triage is best done by the most experienced person. And what does the NHS do? Give it to the least experienced yes. person. And then they wonder why we're in trouble. Well, because the other know. unacceptable thing in these proposals is that they are going to get hold of our appointment book. Mm. Now, if we manage our appointment book, we can just about cope. But if I've got every Tom, Dick and Harry with access to my appointment book, I'm going to struggle. In fact, we're not going to cope at all. And so I think where we are with this is people have got to realise, please leave us to do our job. We know what we're doing better than the managers and better than ministers. That may sound arrogant, but I'm sick and tired. We've had 20 years of being told what to do and it hasn't worked. Well, it's time to let the profession do it.
Well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I mean, if you put some of those uh, receptionists in charge of uh, the borders at Ukraine, uh, Putin wouldn't have got in anywhere near where he is right now. But I mean, listen, a little unkind to my receptionist. Listen, I've I've met plenty of receptionists from doctor surgeries, and they're quite frightening, even for me. But here's the thing: you might you be, it's just it seems to me so obvious that the NHS is spending its money in the wrong places. So obvious that so many doctors are leaving GP practice because it has become a very you know, difficult job to do well and to do properly because I hear all the time from guys like yourself that, you know, if you get to spend three or four minutes with somebody, you're, you're doing well, you know, and that's no way to run a health service. And the end result is that we get more and more people becoming sicker and sicker and ending up having to go to hospital when probably if they'd been able to be dealt with properly years before, that wouldn't have happened. Well, politicians only ever talk about hospitals and schools. They never talk about general practice. They might talk about primary care if you're lucky. They never talk about general practice, mm. and they certainly don't invest in it. Actually, the average consultation length, Mike, in this country is 11.8 minutes, is not it? three or four. Yes. And the, the I don't think I've is, ever sat with a doctor for that long. Well, that may be to do with you, Mike, rather than your doctor. <laughs> yeah, they always throw me out. I don't know what's going on with <laughs> <laughs> but it is 11.8 minutes, right. and in theory, it's an average of four consultation a year. It's actually eight. I have produced a calculator which gives us the numbers we need of doctors based mm. on any consultation rate and length you like. Um, and in fact, that was the basis of my figures, and we used these this calculator in negotiations 10 years ago. But mm. of course, the government wasn't listening. This is 15 years of failed workforce policy. Mm. We told them in 2005 there would be a major shortage of doctors in general, GPs in particular, from around 2016 onwards. We were spot on. Yeah. But the government didn't want to listen. And yet it pursued a policy of care close to home, which is good, but it means it's outside hospital and it means medically it falls on the GP's plate. Yeah. And the days have gone where if I said to somebody else in the health service, I want X doing, and it happened, now I have to go and bend a knee, and they'll consider whether they'll accept my referral. Mm. Sorry, I haven't got time. You want me to sweep up unlimited workload, you do it my way. Unfortunately, I went to Frank Sinatra School of Medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know how many comeback tours you got planned, but I think you're doing very well. Listen, great to talk to you. We should do this some more, Dr. Peter Holden, because uh, there's clearly a lot of common sense coming out of that man, uh, and we need to get more common sense into the health service. If you've been trying to see a doctor, we want to hear your story. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. Uh, coming up is Prime Minister's Questions. Think Debate. Free speech radio. On the app, on your smart speaker, and on the money. Talk radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The show very nearly coming to an end. Ian Collins will be here uh, in just under 10 minutes' time to tell us what's coming up on his show uh, after 1 o'clock. We've just had Prime Minister's questions. Sakir Starmer uh, seemed to be mostly focused on what we are doing here uh, about oligarchs in London, what is happening uh, to people like Roman Abramovich or Abramovich, uh, the owner of Chelsea, who says he's putting it up for sale. Some people saying, well, hang on a minute, if he's a, a, a guy who's in the pocket of Putin, he shouldn't be able to sell his assets. They should all be frozen but there's no proof whatsoever 
in any way, shape or form. There's anything dodgy about Roman Abramovich. There's nothing to suggest that the money he's got has been made as a result of ill-gotten gains. We just don't know the answer to that question. Let's go live, though, to Poland now, to a place called Shrubiju, uh, to be precise. Powell Kuzak is with us. He first spoke to Richard Tice here on Talk Radio at the end uh, of last weekend. Um, he's a man with uh, Ukrainian connections. He's going back to Ukraine to fight for the freedom of his country. Powell, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon, Graham. Thank you very much. Sorry, for, Mike, for, Mike, for, Mike, yeah, thanks very much for joining us. Um, whereabouts in Poland are you exactly and how far are you from Ukraine? So uh, I'm just coming back from Hubyashov, uh, which is uh, where is the um, uh, refugee uh, center, and that's about uh, nine kilometers away from uh, Zoshin, which is a border crossing. I was there today to check uh, whatever uh, you know what I can help with, and I had a lot of questions about. Uh, uh, from my foreign friends about volunteering. Yeah. Uh, today they were um, all set. Yesterday they were extremely busy, but uh, they managed to clear uh, all the uh, incoming people. Uh, there was only one group, major group, that stayed there, which is 18 people who wants to stay together, uh, yeah. and it's uh, sort of difficult to find the accommodation for that. I've seen two families being taken to Poznań, which is in western Poland. Right. Um, and the border crossing at the moment was quiet, uh, but it changes dynamically uh, from from hour to hour. Okay. Uh, obviously, when people encounter large queues, they move out to further south to other border crossings, uh, and it's it's quite dynamic. Yes, I was hearing this morning that quite a lot of people are trying to cross it Hungary as well uh, because it's supposed to be a little bit quieter. Are you seeing the need for people to come out and volunteer to help with the the border crossing and the refugees? I'm 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 thinking you're. You're thinking more of going into Kiev uh, or into uh, Ukraine to, to, to help with the military effort. I'm going to deliver supplies to a particular hospital in uh, in Kiev uh, because uh, our friends ask for it. And uh, right. it's people who I know personally, so we, we're going specifically to them. In terms of volunteers here in Poland uh, or on the Ukrainian side of the border, um, it, it changes for the for the now for now uh, most of the centers are uh, fully sufficient and uh, if someone wants to come just make sure that you're going to a specific place to a specific person don't just come for the sake of, of coming okay. and make sure that you are self-sufficient because if you if you go coming to help you cannot be a drain on the resources uh, which are you know scarce uh, right. so all the resources are for the refugees it's women and children that are coming through. Um, there, there's plenty of help, uh, but uh, ba- badly needed are medical supplies. If you want to come uh, to Poland, you can do one thing. F- uh, load a full van with bulletproof vests, helmets, uh, and other military supplies. Bring it to Ukrainian border, and we'll get Ukrainians to come over and take it over from you. Okay. And if you give them a van as well, they'll be uh, really appreciative, and you'll become a hero right. for them. So, so that's really the answer because, I mean, sometimes in these situations, Powell, what you don't want, as you say, is people just turning up without any real idea of what they want to do or whether they're even needed. Yeah, so if you don't know where you're going, please don't. Uh, but if you have connections, if you know people and if you know where, what you're going to do, yes, please 
come. Okay. As I said, if you bring a van full of full for mili uh, of military supplies, helmets, vests, uh, everything that is you know surplus uh, for the British Army, and I have that uh, stuff coming, we are organizing that in UK. Um, then yes, please come with that. Okay. There are people from Woods, from Lviv, which are begging for uh, supplies. Okay. Do you know if there's a place in it in in the UK where people could go? to find out where they should be going and if there's a place that's kind of coordinating everything. Uh, I don't know if there's any co coordination uh, center. Uh, everything what we do, um, for what I do is, is grassroots. Uh, so we, we basically decided ourselves. Uh, um, um, I know a lot of friends uh, in, in, in Ukraine and uh, you know I'm talking to specific people and uh, delivering to specific people um those who are asking for help mm. not, not just you know some uh, i mean charities are great and you know everyone is doing great work here uh but we focus on specific people no of course and are you expecting it to be a difficult journey to kiev i think so mm. yeah well listen we wish you all the luck uh, in the world powell thank you very much indeed for what you're doing and uh, if you ever need uh, to talk to us again please do Get in touch, Paweł Kuzak there, who's live in Poland uh, as he takes a bunch of stuff over into Ukraine. His advice to anyone who wants to go uh, is don't just go willy-nilly. Do not just turn up and expect to be given something to do. Go with a specific purpose. Go with some specific equipment uh, and help. Do not just turn up and expect to be given something uh, that you can be getting on with. So I think that's pretty good advice. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.